What's going on, guys? And welcome to the first episode of season four of the 50 plus one football podcast. You're home for all things Premier League and Bundesliga. I'm Billy and I love him more than we all love transfer rumours. It's Lewis. Oh, babes. Babes. Yes, guys, we are back with a solid helping of transfer rumours from the Bundesliga and the Premier League, obviously. And today we will be having a really an extensive look at Bayern, Dortmund and Leipzig. What are their outgoings? What are most namely their biggest transfers and how will that shape up for this coming Bundesliga season? Then we will swing across Germany, across the English Channel to the Premier League where arguably the biggest rivalry was already settled in the transfer window. You have City and Liverpool going at it, but Chelsea... Will they become the dark horse with all their transfers? And do they need them? And then we'll have a look at United. Manchester are in desperate need of some fresh blood. They got it with Eric Ten Hag before the end of last season. But Ronaldo, the big question, will he leave? Will he stay? How much good will he do? All that and more right after this. Which transfer offensive tickles your fancy more? Bayern, Dortmund? I, I, know, I know they're your team, but can we shelve them for a second? Because the one that fascinates me more is Dortmund. Because it's, it's not just new players, it's a new coach as well. Okay, okay. I, it's a fair, fair uh, you know, explanation. We'll go with that. We'll go with that. So Dortmund... They already started signing players before the last season was over, it felt like. Um, you know, they they actually went for the defense showing that up. And, you know, we were both quick to criticize them last season. The goals they conceded, I mean, it's the highest amount of goals they've conceded in the last 10 years. So it's not a small feat, let's be real. And they definitely needed, uh, you know, some fresh blood in that defensive uh, or the defensive array, if you will. So Schlotterbeck and Zülle, your take? Well, well, I mean, not only was Niklas Zülle one of the more consistent performers for Bayern last year, Nico Schlotterbeck was also and is also one of the, the most highly rated German centre-halves there is, and yeah. a buy-in target. Well, you know, not only did Dortmund sign, you know, a Bayern transfer target, if you will, they did also, as you said, sign one of the one of the more consistent players in Bayern's back line last season, but they also did it on a free. So doing it on a free, I think, is the thing that hurts most because arguably for Zula, you could have gotten 25 to 30 million, if not more. Um, if you obviously had you know had the right contract in place. But the funny little anecdote with Schlotterbeck is actually that right before he was going to sign for Dortmund, Bayern came in with like a last minute offer, and I already thought at the beginning of this transfer window, well, here we go again, another Zalihamidzic masterclass with uh, coming too late and you know screwing up the negotiations. More on Zalihamidzic later in this episode. But 
you know, as we've said, Dortmund definitely going and strengthening one of the areas where they were most lacking last season. And that wasn't it. Yeah, they, they're they massive improvements on what they already had. Yeah. Obviously, Dan Axel Zagadou is currently without a club. Yeah. I can't see them using a Kanji very much last season or even or this season or even Mats Hummels for that matter. Yeah, as, as sad as it sounds, I think Hummels is now officially going to be degraded to the bench warming position. I mean, yeah, he's good for, you know, the occasional the occasional match where you need more experience, but he's just, you know, he, as it, as it happens, he's getting old. He's, you know, he's 34. It's, it's not, he's not the freshest of center backs and he never was the fastest. And that now is going to show more and more and already has done in the last few seasons, how much he's lacking in pace. And, you know, when you look at Schlotterbeck um, and Zule, both in their mid twenties, it's just the way of, you know, the way the business works. And I think for Hummels, he already knew that. But, you know, it's still going to be a blow, especially when you spend the money that they did do on Schlotterbeck. And, you know, they probably gave Zula a nice little signing bonus, uh, seeing as he came on a free. So, yeah, it's not looking great for Akanji or Hummels. But for Dortmund to have Akanji and Hummels on the bench and then starting two center backs, definitely insane. And obviously, they've replaced Axel Witzel with uh, Ozkan, who came from FC Köln. Yeah, I mean, Sally Özcan, there was just a, an, an interview with, um, with their starting goalkeeper, Marvin Schwebe, um, for Sport 1. And, you know, Schwebe said, as much as we, you know, we're a tight-knit group, we're not going to be, you know, crying too much if someone leaves us, but... One of the players he did single out was Sali Özcan because he said, you know, that's, you know, the probably the only person who's left the club who's going to be taking away some quality from from the squad. And, you know, for Köln, it's a massive, massive blow. But I'd still say that, you know, Sali Özcan um, for Dortmund it might be that player who's, you know, not many people think is going to do bits, but then all, all of a sudden just does. And you, and as we said, you know, uh, Axel Witze, they did need, you know, that defensive stopper, you know, that classic number six that Sadio Chan really is. The the main one I think that people want to hear about and were, were more curious about was how do they replace... Erling Haaland, who's obviously gone to Man City. Yeah. They've signed Karabiemi from Salzburg, who is really exciting. He looked good when Bayern played Salzburg. And also they've signed Sebastian Allaire, but unfortunately he does have uh, that issue with cancer, for which we wish him all the best. And now there's all this talk of do they get someone in on the short term or on loan for a year? And correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, Hans Joachim Vatska has said that they will sign a striker. Well, they've they've said they they're still going to keep their eyes open on the transfer market. I mean, they've said they're not going to have a look um, 
at just about anybody. They, as as it sometimes does happen, you know, they've already signed a few, a fair few players. Um, so their budget is not that big. You know, according to one football, their budget is right now only sitting around 10 million. So if you can't spend more than 10 million on a striker, it's a question of do you even go for a uh, for for a buy or a loan option? I mean, I'd probably say loan option is gonna is almost a must at this point because who are you gonna get for 10 million who can perform enough to fill the gap that Halea has left? And you know, as you said, all the best to him. And you know, with chemotherapy, he's going to be out for a solid few months. So it's it's a question of do you throw Adyemi really into that full blown up top position by himself when he's never played at really that top level consistently, or I say top level in a top five league, or do you try and get someone in? Because you know there were rumors getting thrown around of Luis Suarez. He's obviously signed for Nacional now back home in Uruguay. Um, then the the last rumor that we also commented on um, on Twitter was the one of a possible loan move for Memphis Depay. And you know, in our opinion, as well as you know, the opinions of uh, a fair, fair few over at One Football, as well as um, Sport One, it's looking very unrealistic. Because if you think about it, Barcelona are paying him twelve million a year, so that's already out of Dortmund's price range. That's what Marco Reus as the best paid player at Dortmund right now gets. Um, so he, he'd have to take a pay cut. And there has been talk about Barcelona letting him go for free, but in all honesty, Barcelona need every cent they can get. So I don't know about that one. And then the third question is Depay has been rumored to have said, I want to go to a top club if I have to leave Barcelona. And the question is, will he view Dortmund as a top club having watched him for a season at United and having like read and watched interviews I don't think his ego would allow it Mm -hmm. especially coming off the back of his uh, getting his move to Barcelona and he didn't do badly that's the thing no but I think and people can correct me if I'm wrong but Memphis Depay sounds like the kind of person that always wants a step up. Obviously, it didn't work at United, so he had to take us a back step to go to Lyon, killed it at Lyon, and got that big step up to Barca. Yeah, yeah. It's whether he wants to take a step back to go to Dortmund to then potentially get a step up again, but I don't know who. I think Juventus have been rumoured, but... It's it's the question as well, you know, how many steps ups he can still make because you know obviously 28 is no age but you know 28 you'd start to be looking at you know i'm slowly going to make that final step to where i want to be and you know arguably he did make that when he moved to barcelona but maybe it was just that question of should he have moved to a club that was maybe a tad bit more you know, it, what I think it, it, it is a monumental step, Leon to Barcelona. You know, as as in the mud as Barcelona have been, Leon to Barca is quite a step. Almost a question, or almost begs a question, if he shouldn't have gone for a move that was more like a Leon to Dortmund and then to Barca. But you know, 
all of this obviously for a player who's probably not going to go to Dortmund. So we want to come back um, and just bring the Dortmund section to a close. Dortmund have now made five big transfer signings and also bolstered, you know, the uh, missing links, you know, with their backup goalkeepers uh, with Lotka. Um, and long story short, where do you think that puts them title contending wise? Now, this is where it gets a bit difficult for me because I thought Dortmund had had the best window in the Bundesliga until Hassan Salihamidzic got his act together and obviously worked the magic he has this window for Bayern. I think it puts them closer to Bayern. But even with losing Lewandowski and Sula and... You know, the issues that Bayern have had, the signings that they've made this summer, which we'll talk about now, still keep them ahead. See, put it this way. If if Bayern, you know, now we'll, we'll get into it. Bayern, obviously, they went ahead and kicked off the summer with the signing of Sadio Mane, which I have to say no one expected. In all honesty, I didn't really have Mane pegged as a transfer target until about two days before, you know, the signing went through, basically, because it went unbelievably quickly. You know, after the Champions League final, he basically was like, I that was my last game for Liverpool. Uh, cheers, guys. And then the rumors started kicking off. And then I was like, Mane to Bayern. I was like, I mean, that has a it has an almost futuristic, unreal ring to it. But, you know, we'll see how it goes. I wasn't expecting much. Obviously, as many listeners will know, I didn't have a high opinion of Zadi Hamadzic before this transfer window. So I wasn't expecting much. But Zadi Hamadzic managed to swindle Mane from Liverpool for $32 million off the bat, possibly going up to $41 million, you know, depending on the bonuses. That is unbelievably low for a player of Mane's quality, especially looking at what, players of that quality would have cost you know PSG or Real Madrid or Barcelona or Chelsea or City what have you so you know just that signing alone already put Zadi Hamicic back on the block having said that if Bayern had only signed Mane and you know a few of the others I would still have said Dortmund are actually gaining a big edge to get you know back up there and challenge for the title but it was the signing of Delict that put Bayern over the edge I think or over the top better said because Delict is just arguably one of the most exciting prospects in in the in the center back position and he already brings a wide breadth of experience because tell me another center back who captained Ajax to his Champions League semi-final at age 17 can't name one it's a weird one, Delict, because when he left Ajax, Bayern were one of the clubs. They kept they in contact with him as well. That was exactly. the thing. That's the thing. They wanted him when he was at Ajax. He went to Juve, which at the time I thought was a weird move anyway. Same. Because it didn't really fit. And as well as he has, he, he has done at Juve, he never really settled, I wouldn't say. No, because, I mean, arguably he had too many big, 
names around him almost. You know, you had Bonucci, you had Chiellini. You know, he has to find his way into that array. And I'd almost say it wasn't the right fit for him because the reason he went to Juve was because of Sarri and the and the way that Maurizio Sarri, you know, he played football. He played attacking, forward-thinking football. But he only had Sarri for one season, arguably his best season in a Juve shirt, which is his first one. Because yeah, after that, it's not his fault that Juve chop and change managers. I think at Bayern, look, we don't know what's going to happen, but Bayern tends to stick with a manager, especially one they've had to pay a transfer fee for. And not just any transfer fee. They paid more for they paid the same amount for him that they paid for uh, Grafenberg. Well, there we go. That shows how much they wanted Nagelsmann in the first place. So they're not going to sack him willy-nilly. No. Yeah. But it, it's yeah. it's it's a it's the similar thing to the Dortmund situation. So Dortmund had bad centre backs. They replaced them with good centre backs. Bayern lost a good centre back and have replaced it with a world class one, which is why, as good as Dortmund's window has been, it's just that step below being able to just bring in a world-class player. And when you've got the potential of uh, Nusser Matsurawi and Ryan Gravenberch from Ajax, I mean... Come I was on. about to say, because Matsurawi is almost my pick to be, you know, the, the contender for surprising us more than the others. Because I think you'll be surprised how much it changes your game when you have two fullbacks who can actually go forward properly because that was Pavard's biggest issue is the fact that he can't support the attacking play going forward as well and that's why Masrari was brought in so I think that is going to be one of the ex most exciting ones and you know what we've heard from Kimmich in interviews about Gravenberg I mean Kimmich has said you know Gravenberg is one of the best players in this uh preseason he barely loses a ball and he's unbelievably talented and he's still only 20. So, you know, when you have Yuzwa Kimmich saying that about you, not bad, not bad. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny you say that about Pavard because I was watching the German Cup final, the Super Cup final. Oh, that was so hit and miss from him. <laughs> well, uh, you say that, but uh, our good friend Derek Ray did say oh. that Benjamin Pavard himself will admit he sees himself more as a central defensive option than a yeah. right back. Yeah. If you bring in Max Rowey, suddenly the, the potential to play a three at the back comes in. True. Because you because you can you can have Delict, Upa Meccano, and Pavard in a back three, and you've got two of arguably the best wing backs, probably minus Ashraf Hakimi. Yeah, in Alfonso Davies and Matsurawi to give you the width. So if you wanted to play Mane down the middle, which they have done, or which they're looking to do, because I mean, right right now, it's just the fact of you know being able to play anyone from Mane to Sane to Gnabry to Musiala to Müller to you know anyone across that front four, and you're only and and you can still bring in two players, and I haven't even mentioned Coman in that in that lineup. So it, I mean, it is just crazy. 
the one thing that I want to touch on, though, is the fact that, you know, Bayern said going into the pandemic, that's it for us making massive ass transfers. We're tightening the purse strings. Hence why also, you know, 2020 to this season's transfer window, almost the biggest signing they made was Leroy Sané. I mean, arguably still a big signing, but they never spent, you know, over 60 million in one transfer window, which is a number they've obliterated this summer. So it's almost a question of where is the money coming from? I mean, let's be honest, Bayern aren't going to be short on money, but they want to avoid a situation like Dortmund after they won the Champions League where they just pissed money up against a wall, like yeah. a Barcelona situation where you're having to sell off bits of your club and bits of commercial and broadcasting rights to to pay to register players even. So it's it's a well-run club. And you've won how many titles in a row now? 11? Well, we're, we're on number 10, but, you're, you know. So, you know, you, you're going for your 11th, 11th title in a row. You've won 10 in a row. There's not been any major need to shift things around or or a panic buy to bring someone in. No, losing yeah. Lewandowski, though. You say losing. He still brought in 45 million. That's what I mean. So exactly. if you look at it, net spend. It's only you, about 70 mil. Yeah. You know, that, the, sale of, the sale of Lewandowski paid for Gravenberch, for Mane, for Tell. You only really had to pay for Matisse de Ligt. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we've now actually, or we've, we've done a little bit of in-depth research. Well, we say that Sky Sports uh, Germany did. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take their figures. So basically the net spend, as Billy just said, only about 70 or 80 million, which, you know, we're, lo- we're still looking at it. You know, it's still a lot. But you have to think about the fact that Zadi Hamachish didn't just pull off a masterclass in what he, br- he brought in. He also managed to get 10 million for Omar Richards, who played maybe 500 minutes and was never a Bayern level player. And he came from Reading from the championship of last season. And he managed to get 10 million out of him. He managed to get 12 million out of Mark Rocca. And Mark Rocca, you know, he's a decent center midfielder, but he also isn't, you know, a player who I would have thought, you know, is a solid Bayern player. So Zadi Hamacic managed to sell off his mistakes, quote unquote, and also sold off a youth product in Chris Richards to Crystal Palace now. So, you know, he's gotten a solid amount of money in. And then obviously, you know, getting the money they did for Lewandowski was still, you know, the best thing that could have happened as the situation progressed. Because obviously Lewandowski wasn't trying to come back to Bayern. Bayern didn't want, you know, it was such a big feud that the fact that they managed to get that money out of Barcelona, no less, who shouldn't be having any, but still do. Um, he's he's definitely pulled off a masterclass. So, you know, all credit to Hasan Zalihamidzic. He's more or less saved his job and managed to probably get a contract extension because of one solid summer. Well, there we go. Clip that. Record it, post yep. it everywhere. He's praised Hassan Salihamidzic, finally. 
Well, he he deserves it. He deserves it. And you know, as as much as we have bashed him, you still have to say that you know he was the architect of the squad that won six titles in one year, and he didn't get enough credit for it. You know, I and I'll take and I'll take you know responsibility as being one of the many people who didn't give him enough credit for that. So you know, you have to give him. You know, credit where it's due. He built a squad that, you know, won the most titles in a year that you can and the most titles in club history in a year. And now he's, you know, pull off arguably the club's best transfer window in, in, in club in yeah, in club history. So yeah, credit where it's due. Well, shall we leave Munich and shall we uh, go to Probably Germany's most controversial club. Go on, the Red Bulls. Um, it's not been a a stellar window in terms of arrivals. I think it was more... So we picked out two big things for Leipzig, which was the, uh, the re-signing on a new contract of Christopher Nkunku until 2026. But it does have a buyout clause of 60 million euros, which for a player with his numbers from last season sounds like a steal. And that buyout clause comes into effect next summer already. So arguably, Leipzig have just managed to secure his talents for one season and 60 million more or less guaranteed if unless he, you know, rips his ACL this season next summer. I was gonna ask you this. Do you think that's basically what they've done? So we'll, I mean, we'll give you a new contract, but we'll have a buyout clause for next summer. I think that's the only way they were going to get him to sign a release clause because arguably, um, sign a release clause, sign a new contract, um, because arguably he'd already performed enough last season to warrant a move to a bigger club. Well, the, the numbers being thrown around when he was linked with Chelsea and Manchester United were 85, 90 million euros. Yes, but you also have to re- you also have to remember that you know if he does leave, then you're going to have to invest that money right back into him again, or into his replacement. Very, very true. And you find me a player who puts up numbers like that in the Bundesliga consistently, who doesn't cost a minimum of fifty million, because everyone's going to know Leipzig. They have the money to spend. I mean, Hoffenheim, and we're moving right along to the next transfer window. Hoffenheim managed to get 26 million off the bat for David Raum. And he had only had one solid season in the Bundesliga with Hoffenheim. You know, he was wing back, though. Yeah, I know, but he was, which, which fits in perfectly to Leipzig's system. That's one of the reasons he said he should go. The other reason was, and it wasn't Domenico Tedesco crashing his uh, uh, Ibiza um, holidays, which also happened. Amazing. It was the fact that Hansi Flick um, actually told David Raum, that's the best option for you. Mad. And looking at the fact that David Raum has definitely set his sights on the World Cup squad for Qatar in November, he needs to do something where... He gets a lot of playing time. He gets it at the highest level. And if you, the guy who's able to make that decision is telling you to go somewhere, you do that. 
So I don't know. I think for Leipzig, they haven't done a lot, but what they have done, quality over quantity. Yeah, I mean, they've also completely, you know, ruined their wage structure. Yeah, okay. That's the, Maybe we should say quality over quantity with, uh, with a little asterisk up top because they're paying Nkunku double what he was on beforehand, which obviously blows up their wage structure by a long shot. Yeah, I mean... But if he, again, I've got no issue with that. One, because they've got the money. And two, because you put up ridiculous numbers. Well, obviously. And, you know, it also might be a blessing in disguise because if you can, if you can show other clubs that, one, you're willing to play with the big boys and then also show other players we're willing to play with the big boys in terms of salary, they might be able to attract a lot more players. The, the only thing they have to obviously look at is if they can actually financially pay for those players. But, you know, in terms of attractiveness, it definitely adds to the Leipzig brand, if you will. I just want to touch on one thing before we end the Bundesliga segment, though. And you mentioned it to me the most. It's the outgoing transfers from the league in general which arguably have hurt the brand of the league a tad bit. Well, yeah, I mean, Nottingham Forest, who have only just been promoted. I mean, Forest are a great team. They played really well last season. But they've signed Niakite, Orel Mangala, and Taiwo Awani, who were, you know, Awani was Union's best player. Niakite was one of the better centre-backs in the league last season. And Mangala is one of the higher-rated young players in the league. Yeah. And a team that's been newly promoted to the Premier League has signed all three in one window. Not just that. They've spent upwards of $90 in this transfer window for a team that's newly promoted. A team that's newly promoted to the Bundesliga maybe make signings of $15 If that. That just shows the wage disparity in TV rights between the Premier League and the Bundesliga. Biggest league in the world, mate. But the real issue, well, it could be an issue potentially, but I think it's it's under control at the moment. Is is it sustainable for the Bundesliga to have its star players picked off every single summer? But we've seen it with Leverkusen, Kai Havertz left for Chelsea. Florian Wirtz came straight through. Yeah, Dortmund. It ha- seems to happen every single window. I was about to say that you know you left off the two biggest outgoings that the Bundesliga had, which was the fact that the Bundesliga last season boasted the two best strikers or two of the best three strikers on this planet. If you had had Benzema playing for uh, RB Leipzig, you would have had all the top three strikers in the world playing in one league. And in one fell swoop, they've lost Lewandowski and Haaland. Which, you know, if you're looking at that from a, a uh, you know, German FA perspective or a DFA perspective, you're sitting there and pulling your hair out, you know, by the bunch. Because you're sitting there thinking that's just marketability. That's market value that we're losing as a league. Can I counter that, though? Yes. Yeah, okay, you've lost two of the best strikers in the world and you've lost some of the most exciting players in the league. 
But the fact they're coming from this league means people might look up and go, hmm, okay, I hadn't seen him play much before. Maybe I should start watching the Bundesliga. You know, I've complained massively last season that Sky Sports have the rights to the Bundesliga in the UK, but do pixel with it. Already this week, I've seen more promos for the Bundesliga starting than I did the entire of last season. They've got four games the opening weekend live on Sky. That's insane. When they used to have one, maybe two. You might get a Friday night and a Sunday evening game if you were lucky. Yeah. But they've got, whether it will continue or not, I don't know. But that's one of the the things in this country. We've got the rights to it. We can watch it. But they don't put it on. Mm, Because, you know, I don't want to get technical and and all like, you know, in in depth. But it's, it's not difficult to not put Gary Neville's soccer box with Matt Letizia on for the nine millionth time. All you have to do is slap the world feed on, which is what they do anyway. Yeah. There's no studio work involved. You just have to put the world feed out to broadcast. And it makes the Bundesliga all that much more money. Exactly. Before we move to the Premier League, Lewis, I want your uh, predictions. I want champion and the two teams that are going to go down. Um, it's going to be a closer title race, but it almost hurts me as a German football fan to say, but Bayern will go for the 11th one because I just think the team is too strong. That being said, if they change their sights and look at the Champions League more than the Bundesliga, we might have a different issue. But I still think that, you know, the way the club is run, that would never be allowed to happen in that sense. So. I'm pegging Bayern first and Dortmund second. Um, to The teams to go down, that's going to be a hard one. Because I think the fact that Werder Bremen and Schalke haven't gotten themselves promoted back just goes to show that, you know, their clubs, their traditional clubs, and their stints in the second Bundesliga were an anomaly and not much more. So I don't think they'll go back down. Um I think it'll be tough for them and they'll probably still be fighting against the relegation spots, but I think that they are, they won't end up going down. No. Um, The team that I feel like is almost going to take the biggest hit in all honesty. And it might surprise you, but it's the fact that, um, you know, Bochum, they did so well. But they also took a couple of hits and they haven't been in the Bundesliga for so long that it might be one of those cases of they managed to keep themselves afloat the first time around and do so quite well. But the second time around, it just doesn't go well. So I might peg Bochum as much as it pains me because they're a traditional club that they might go down. And the other one, I think that just, you know, had to Berlin just they at some point that just has to happen because they they just need to at some point have pissed away so much money and then still end up going down that something happens in that club. I mean, yeah, they've already gotten an ex ultra as club president, which hats off, that's amazing. But I still think some stuff genuinely has to change in that club. I I, I can't argue to be honest. Yeah, I, I think it will be closer. But Bayern will win, but Dortmund, it won't be 
16, 19 points. It'll be no. It'll be somewhere like three or four or something. Yeah. The two to go down. Yeah, Hertha Berlin, because like you say, everything has to catch up with them at some point. They were lucky last year. Oh, unbelievably lucky. Unbelievably lucky. And the other one, I think the uh, the two promoted teams will stay up. The other one's going to be Stuttgart, I think, especially Ooh. if they lose Sasha Kalajic. Yeah, and they're rumored to losing uh, Bonasosa as well. Exactly. You know, they stayed up with that last day win. Yeah. It can't happen again, surely. So, well, there we go. Let us know who you think is going to win the Bundesliga. Will Dortmund finally end Bayern's dominance or will they just add to their legacy and who will get relegated? And if you're feeling really knowledgeable, who's going to come up from the second tier? Let us know below. But now it's time to move to the Premier League. Salah! So we talked about it. It's been, you know, from the get-go of this season's transfer window, it's been the defining topic. City and Liverpool both made massive signings up top. Haaland versus Nunez. Who's going to be the bigger impact striker this season in the Premier League? I'm going to say Erling Haaland. And that's purely just because I've watched him play for two and a half years. Yes. Okay. I've not, you know, I look, Darwin Nunez could completely take the league, but he could blow everything away. He could be top scorer, but he's only had one professional senior season at Benfica. I mean, he did just knock three past Liverpool in the Champions League semi-final or was it no quarterfinal sorry yeah okay but that, you know but that happens in the Champions League though but it's different over at the course of a whole league season yeah okay he scored and he looked really lively in the community shield against Man City where Erling Haaland probably didn't look at his best it was probably a false advertisement I mean he missed from six yards out yeah, look, I'm, I'm not having that, okay? The fact that he turned round and laughed, he's going to end people this season. Oh, and he's going to end big, big people this season. You know, Sergio Aguero said that, you know, he's, he's not used to playing against people like Virgil van Dijk. You know, he, he plays against people who are weaker in the Bundesliga every week, but not every Premier League side has a Virgil van Dijk. I was about to say, he's also bullied people like... Uh, Upamecano and Upamecano's a freaking tank. So I people were jumping on it too quickly. The season's not even started yet. The Community Shield is a glorified preseason game. Oh yeah, but just like the just like the uh, German Super Cup. I mean, it just exactly you can't take too much away from it. The only thing that worries me ever so slightly is that since Pep Guardiola took over at Manchester City, they've not really played with a genuine number nine arguably the last time Guardiola had to actually play with a genuine number nine was because Robert Lewandowski was just that good and early Poland can be that good yeah two things have to happen 
Manchester City have to adapt to the way Haaland plays. You know, we saw it in the Community Shield. There's there's that habit that Manchester City have now because they haven't played with the number nine of always trying one or two passes too too much. They're trying trying to combine. They're basically trying to one, two all the way across the freaking goal line. That's basically what City tried to do. Whereas now you've got Haaland, you can put long balls in, you can put crosses into the box because he will win those balls. Oh, yeah. But the second one is Haaland has to slightly adapt his game as well. He can't be pig-headed about it. He has to adapt to the way Guardiola wants to play. Otherwise, I mean, it won't happen but he could fall behind Julian Alvarez. Well, I mean, either that or you have a an Ibrahimovic-type situation when Ibrahimovic and Guardiola were at Barca, 2009. Oh, you don't buy a Ferrari and drive it like a Fiat. Exactly. Which is arguably what could happen if Guardiola is pig-headed about Haaland as well. Because one thing... One thing which gets me is, and this is the question that I also want to post to you, is do you buy a player and make sure that he adapts to the way the team works? Or do you buy a player because you think he fits well with the team? And in all honesty, I don't know if Manchester City does the former or they, or, or that they just basically say, you know what, as long as Guardiola is here, whoever we buy, it's Guardiola's way or the highway. So, what do you do? You think that do you think that uh, City will actually or have actually bought Haaland because they think he will be a good fit for their team, or just because he's the most exciting number nine and they could? I yeah, I think it's they've bought him because he's the most exciting number nine and they could. You know, when when we spoke to to Derek Ray, he was of the impression that. Real Madrid would have been a better fit because of the way they play, having played you with know, a classic number over nine. a decade with a classic number nine in Karim Benzema. And even sometimes Ronaldo up front. I don't want people to think this is us saying he won't do well, because he will. It's in his no, nature no. to score goals. It's what he does. Yeah. But I've written down in, in my notes the Paul Pogba problem. Yeah. Because that was the problem that United had was, well, do you change the the entire way the team plays to accommodate one player? Or do you expect the player to put the effort in to adapt to the way they play to fit into the team? Yeah, yeah. You know, it didn't always work for Paul Pogba at United. When it did work, it was great. Yeah. But it didn't always work. But I think, you know, obviously Guardiola is one of, if not the best manager in world football at the moment. Yeah. He's good enough, and so is Haaland, to both adapt. And that is terrifying for everyone else. <laughs> yeah, I. it's hard to argue because, I mean... The one argument I would make with the with the Pogba problem, you know, in in general, I I get the sentiment, but I'd also argue that United at the time of buying Paul Pogba had the chance to basically say we might just revamp the whole club and try and build it around him and try and build something new, and they didn't. That would be my argument there, but you know, we'll 
we'll table that discussion for uh for for when we get to united um but yeah so as you said terrifying for the rest of the league how much time do you give the whole manchester city system you know now having to try and you know adapt to the fact that they have a full blown number 9 who is a terrifying player in in, in and of of himself how long do you give the whole apparatus Manchester City to adapt and to hit the ground running? Do you think it's an it's an instant thing, or do you think it might take a little bit of time? I don't think it's ever going to be an instant thing. But you would expect it to happen quicker at City than other sides because of the quality of the players that they've got. Yeah. You know... Kevin De Bruyne is the best passer of, of a ball in the Premier League. Riyad Mahrez is fantastic on the ball. You know, Jack Grealish on his day. Bernardo Silva. Bernardo Silva, Gundogan. The Phil list goes on. Odin. Yeah. It goes on and on and on and on. They're good enough. This isn't like he's joined Fulham <laughs> or something where he's going to have to play with his back to goal like Alexander Mitrovic will have to. Yeah. He will have free run of ninety percent of against ninety percent of the teams in the Premier League. It's just whether they can whether they can gel because it you know he, he had his opportunities in the Community Shield but he just didn't take them. So, but you know he didn't get angry, he didn't look pissy, turn around, he laughed. So he he knows he's going to cause chaos. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's scary to to think that you're going to come up against him at some point twice. <laughs> Maybe more if you get lucky in the Carabao Cup. Or I'd say minimum of two games against Erling Haaland is it's a bleak proposition. It really is. <laughs> well, should we move to a club who we're in desperate need? of multiple signings across the board. I mean, we're talking all the way from, from center back positions all the way up to, to up front because Chelsea, they, they got rid of Lukaku, which I think we can all agree was much needed. Best for everyone. Yeah. But they also lost Antonio Ludiga and Andreas Christensen, both to, you know, the proponents of the Classico in Real Madrid and Barcelona. And they lost them on a free. I mean, in all honesty, if you got those two clubs knocking at your door, you could have gotten a combined fee for those two players of minimum 60 million. Minimum. If not more. Yeah, only if 40 million of that is for Antonio Rudiger. Are you rating Christensen that that low? I don't think he's that good. I genuinely don't think don't think he's that good. He won't be that one at Barcelona. I think you could have probably gotten forty to fifty million for for Ludiga alone if he had had a long enough contract. That's the way I mean. he was playing, he was one of the best center backs in in the Premier League last season. That's, that's I mean, we put I mean. him in our team of the season. R- Rudiger was miles better than anyone else in the Chelsea backline. Yeah, which is why his loss is worse than yeah. Andreas Christensen. But to replace him with Koulibaly, who yeah. every year seems to be linked with someone or other, whether it's Barca or Chelsea or City at one point, United. Everyone. Everyone is always linked with Koulibaly. 
and for Chelsea to get him is massive. And to get him for that fee. Ridiculously low fee. Given what United were quoted the season they signed Harry Maguire. What was it? 75 million that season. 75 million that season. And Chelsea have paid peanuts compared to that. Ah, it's It's hard to argue because, I mean, Chelsea paid what? 34 million? Something like that. For one of the best center backs in Serie A. 100%. I mean, one of the best, if not the best center back in Serie A. And yeah, they signed him for 38 million euros. So it's... The one that surprised or didn't... Well, yeah, surprised me and caught me off guard was Raheem Sterling. I think that surprised everyone. It came so out of left field. Oh, 100%. Because I don't think the idea of him leaving wasn't off the table. I don't think it was a... That wouldn't have been a shock had he left, but it was the fact he's gone to a direct rival. Well, di- yeah, direct rival for the for the title, yes. And, you know, I think I think it's almost crazy to think that Raheem Sterling has kind of dropped off everyone's radar when it comes to Manchester City because, you know, at one point it was Raheem Sterling on the one wing and Leroy Sané on the other, and they were causing damage. The damage they were doing to Premier League defenders was insane. And the fact that he's now dropped off, one, shows how good Manchester City are and how much quality they have in that team. And on the other hand, you know, that, yeah, he probably should have left. And good that he did, because I think at Chelsea now he could replace, you know, someone like Hakim Ziyech, who really has not fit in from day one at Chelsea. Um, and has really strengthened that attack. Well, we will get back to Sterling in a sec, but the, the Hakim Ziyech one was always a weird one for me, because they had that transfer ban lifted yeah. In in the January. So they could have signed in the January. It was a few days after. Oh yeah, by the way, we, we've signed Hakim Ziyech and we'll get him in, in the summer. Why would you not? Five days earlier. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not only that, not only that, but he he was a number 10 at Ajax. And they just one for one had the breakthrough with Mason Mount. And two, they were gunning for uh, for Kai Havertz, and then they end up spending eighty million on him the summer after that. So it's a question of why would you even go for Ziyech in the first place? He's done all right, but like I say, I don't think not enough to warrant you know one the forty million and two the amount of time he's spent on the bench. Yeah, yeah, exactly, but. Sterling coming in is is good for Chelsea. It's very good for Chelsea, given you know the season before the Euros and during the Euros. One of the best players in the Premier League was arguably England's best player in that Euros. Yeah, but the yeah. other the other one is the potential departure on loan of Timo Werner back to RB Leipzig. Well, here's the one thing. First of all, loan would probably work well because Leipzig don't have the apparently what what Chelsea apparently are asking for is 33 million and Leipzig don't have that. It's still really cheap though. Yeah, but if you're thinking about it, the fact that you know he scored what 
10 Premier League goals across two seasons. I was going to say, if he wasn't dog shit, I'd, I'd, I'd kind of want United to go for him as, as a striking option, but... The thing is, I mean, one, United have had so much, you know, going with players that are fast up top, but not big guys up top. And arguably, you know, when you guys had Lukaku or Ibrahimovic or whatnot, you probably did best. There's one thing. And, you know, the other, as you said, Timo Vanna has had a lot worse of a time in London than, you know, his fellow German compatriot, you know, Kai Havertz has had because Kai Havertz is... There are some people who have said, you know, Kai Havertz hasn't completely, you know, blown up yet. I was like, well, <laughs> he's won you guys a Champions League in his first season there. Um, ignoring that, what he's done in the Premier League last season, insane. But we'll table that for another for another day. But yeah, I mean, for Timo Werner... I think he just needs to go back to, you know, an atmosphere that he knows, you know, to get his to get his career back on track. And so if he does go on loan to Leipzig, would be very good for Werner, would be very good for Leipzig. It could also be quite good for Chelsea because if he does well, they get more for him next summer. That or he does well enough to warrant a second chance at Chelsea. Yeah, very true. Very true. I mean, you know, he's not a bad player. We've seen him score a hat-trick live. Yeah. Against yeah. Gladbach. So... That was never really a question. Yeah, it's just never really settled. Playing him off the wide as well really annoyed me under Frank Lampard, and it's just persisted under Thomas Tuchel. But then yeah. again, you can't sign a player like Romelu Lukaku and and go, oh, you wouldn't mind coming in off the left, would you, Rom? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Speaking of Lukaku, the most expensive mistake made by a club in the top five leagues in the last season or two, they've Finally shipped them out. They shipped them out on loan. Good for Chelsea. Good for Lukaku. Good for everybody involved, basically. But they right now do not have a lot of striking options. Timo Werner is probably the only one who you could, you know, who has the experience up top. And other than that, you've got Kai Havertz who can play as a false nine, but you know, it's not a full blown striking option. Funny you should bring that up, Lewis. <laughs> I was reading this morning from, you know, your friend of mine, Fabrizio Romano. Oh, big man. Big man. Daddy big man. Fab. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, and apparently Chelsea are talking potentially to Aubameyang. Not only Aubameyang, they're going for the double. Aubameyang and De Jong. I didn't want to talk about Frankie de Jong, to be honest. I'm I'm sorry, but it has to be said. But the, yes, that is the new that is the news as well. Do you think Aubameyang would leave though? Oh, Aubameyang would, yeah. Okay. Well, having said that, you know, because having, you know, a, you know, a, a, a certain a certain number nine has joined the club. <laughs> you know, he's not going to start over Lewandowski. No one's going to start over Lewandowski. You know, so. I think Aubameyang would. It's not necessarily the case of whether Aubameyang is knocking down Joanne Laporta's door going, let me go to Chelsea. No. I think it's more a case of Barcelona going, okay, there's only so much we can... There's there's only so much of the soul of this club we can sell. (laughs) Uh, So we're actually going to have to sell some players at some point. But yeah, it's, it's a difficult one. Anything with Barcelona is difficult. 
which is probably a nice little segue into the final part, which I really just didn't want to talk about, but you made me talk about it. I'm sorry, we have to because because it's going to depress me three days before the first game. Well, not only that, but you also have the issue that you did just sign one of the most exciting young managers you can get. He's not young. He's okay. Well, you say young. Okay, I don't mean young. I mean inexperienced. Okay, at the very top, you know, he's only trained Ajax. He's now going to a top five league. That's what I mean. Okay, he's not young. Okay, sorry. Calm down. But Sorry. yes, you signed one of the one of the biggest, one of the most exciting new managing prospects that was on the market. You signed him. And there have already been, you know, TikToks going around and videos and reels on Instagram of Ten Hogball. So I think you would be a little bit happy with it. I'm very happy with Eric Ten Hag. I don't know how I couldn't be. Because he... You know, we've we've all seen the video of him shouting at Noah Lang when he was at Ajax, saying it's not just about you, it's about the team. That makes my, well, you know, it makes me happy. One thing that doesn't make you as happy is uh, the ever-growing speculation around the man, the myth, the legend, the comeback king, CR7, Cristiano Ronaldo. Do you think he's going to go? Do you want him to go? Do you think it'd be best for everyone? What is your take? I mean, it's not great how it's how he's gone about it. Oh, hell no. You know, missing an entire preseason. But, you know, apparently there was, you know, personal problems, family problems. So it's difficult to sit here and slag him off for that because you don't know what happens in private. Yeah, yeah, obviously. The funny thing is that George Mendes has basically hoard him out to everyone and their mum that plays in the Champions League, and no one wants him. Well, yeah, because, because he's point, a 37 yeah. year old man child who wants everything his own way. Not only that, but the guy is also on an on a colossal 30 million a year salary. No club is going to pay that for a 37 year old, no matter if he's Cristiano Ronaldo or he's freaking, I don't know, Chris Zlatan Ibrahimovic. No one's going to pay that much money for a 37 year old. End up. Lionel Messi was right there. And you went with Zlatan Ibrahimovic. <laughs> I know he's not 37, but no, I was about to say Messi's not at 37 yet. You know, he's still on the. He's 35, but he's still on the cusp of it. But And also, Messi went to the only club that would actually do something that stupid. Yeah, that's very true. Um, no, I, I don't know. The, the thing is, he took part in the media day where, yeah. the, where the broadcasters come in and they film them doing those cringy watch Manchester United versus Arsenal live on... BT Sport One. Yeah. They do those cringy pieces to camera. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's done that. He's now been included in the kit launch pictures, which he hadn't been to begin with. Well, that if means he, he's basically staying. Well, if he went, we'd have to get someone, possibly two people in. Because there's all that talk of, well, one, the pie. <laughs> That would just be, if I said, 
I'd want him back, it would just be through misty-eyed nostalgia. Because I was so happy when we signed him. <laughs> the other one is a player that I'd never heard of before we were linked with him. Uh, which is Benjamin Shesko from Salzburg. He's apparently I mean, the next Haaland. And... Uh, I, I think Haaland's not even the next Haaland yet. <laughs> He's only in his... Uh, <laughs> you can't... Oh, I hate football fans so much. Well, here's the thing, right? He's not, it's not football fans who've said that to him. It's Sesko's own teammates at Salzburg who have said that he's apparently oh, no. better than Haaland was at 19, which wanna... I don't believe either. Yeah, but... I don't buy that for a second. Haaland scored nine goals in like an under 15s World Cup or something. In one game. In one game. But, you know, that's, you eat, there's such a, thin amount of forwards available anyway that are good enough you know there's there was all that talk of us going for anthony from ajax but at this point if i was ajax i'd send united emails to spam we've had their manager we tried for timber we didn't get him so we then went for lysandro martinez we got him in the end if we went back for anthony (laughs) if i was van der sar i'd put pick the phone up and go fuck off (laughs) because <laughs> you know, they've lost Raven Birch, Match Rowey, and Sebastian Haller as well. There's only so much you can pick a club apart. I was about to say, I don't know how that club's even going to function now because we've ta- like, if you think about it, three clubs have taken more than half of their starting eleven and their manager. But they have a nice away kit, so it's fine. They've always had nice away kits, but still, the nicest away kit they will ever have is the Bob Marley one. I'm sorry. That is very nice. The biggest issue, I think, though, is that it looked like it was all change. New manager came in. Ed Woodward left. You know, uh, John Murter came in. And everything looked to be going differently. And yet, cut to... 13 and a half, nearly 14 weeks after we first asked for Frankie de Jong. Two trips to Barcelona that have been pictured later. And it just doesn't look, you know, I've given up hope now. I've completely given up on that. It just doesn't seem to be happening. I think if the player actually wanted to go, it would have been, it would be a different issue. I yeah, okay, look, it's it's the it's the, the same thing I said about Aubameyang. It's not a case of Frankie de Jong kicking Laporta's door down and going, Oi, Juan, I want to join Manchester United. Sell me to Manchester United. It's a case of they're desperately in need of funds. And the player doesn't want to leave. They need to free up wage space and they need to be able to register players. You know, they've already asked again Gerard Piquet and Sergio Busquets to take another pay decrease. There's but, only so much pay you can decrease. The two are gonna be pay are gonna be playing for like, you know, one K a week at some point. I mean I would. But I was about to say playing for one K a week still gets you uh fifty two K a year. So I but it's more than we're making right now. <laughs> let me ask you this. If your employer owed you seventeen million pounds in in deferred wages. Would you move to another club before you were paid that money? Because if you move, you you accept from what from what I can gather from what I've read, he essentially gives up any right he has to ask for that money. Mm, I don't think so because he still brought a he he signed a contract 
and he played, which means he provided the service that he said he would when he signed said contract. So in the end, it doesn't matter if he leaves, he retires, or he tells Barca to do one. Barcelona are contractually or contractually obligated to pay him that money. It doesn't matter. He signed a contract. And if in this time span of that contract, he didn't get the money he was promised in said contract, it's called a breach of contract and he can sue. Well, I think what we can both agree on. Is that Frankie De Jong's not coming? (laughs) Well, that's it for for the 50 plus one football podcast. In general, I'm not recording with him anymore. (laughs) He's going to mock me. We can't all sign. I hate Bayern Munich so much. And yet you have their, you have one of their nicest kits and you went to a game with me and a training session with me. Look, it's hate born out of jealousy. <laughs> we can agree on on two things. Yeah. Manchester United are still a shambles, but Barcelona are a bigger one. Yeah. Barcelona are the biggest shambles of any club. They're bigger shambles than a freaking championship club because a championship club at the end of the day can still get their money together. Ooh. I wouldn't criticize the EFL. Their fans okay, are Second Bundesliga, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, there still about, I could, there are probably still about 100 different clubs that are run better than Barcelona. Maybe not have been in, but... What? Including this, the local Sunday league thing. Oh, yeah. They can and still get a squad league. together. Well, just about. Yeah. If the manager kits up on a Sunday. And they're not too hungover from Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do the same for the Premier League as we did with the Bundesliga. I want... Your pick for champion and the three clubs to get relegated. I can go first if you would like some time to uh, to think about your decision. Well, I mean, the championship, we can, we can go for who we think is a champion and, you know, runner-up because I think that for me still seems easier. I, I'd still peg it to be the same deal with uh, City, uh, City winning and Liverpool finishing as a runner-up. I just don't think there is too much changing that because there's so little between the two as it is, but city have signed that, that much of a better striker that I think it's just, there's no use. I think it's just that that is just done to go down. (laughs) I think it'd be funny if, if forest went down just because they were the ones who spent or who are in the top 10 of clubs having spent the most money across Europe's top five leagues, a newly promoted team has made it into the top 10. So if Forrest went down after that, that would be funny as hell, but I don't think it's going to happen. Um, I'd say Fulham because Fulham are just that yo-yo team. It just will happen. And as much as it pains me, Brentford, because I think, Brentford is a similar case of what I what I said to uh said about Bochum. It's the fact that Brentford had a solid season coming back in, but I think to keep it going will be the issue. And the second season will be that much harder. So my pick would be Brentford to go down. The third one, oof. Yeah, unless Everton have a big turnaround. 
it's Everton. So yeah, there it is. My final three: Everton, Fulham, and Brentford. Uh, we agree on all but one. Okay. So I still think it'll be City or and or Liverpool top two. Yeah. You know, as good as Arsenal have looked in preseason, as good as the t- signings Tottenham have made, Chelsea pre- yeah. preseasons mean nothing. Yeah. But I do think it'll be Fulham, Bournemouth, and Everton. Oh, okay. Purely, purely going off the fact that Marco Silva and Scott Parker have actively complained about how small their squads are. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't bode well for a new Premier League uh, season, does especially it? now that we're allowed five subs in the Premier League. I was about to say, if you can't make five good enough subs, game over. That's what I mean. Like Bournemouth at one point barely had three subs good enough. They're a better <laughs> team now. Don't get me wrong. But I think it would just be a step too far. And like I said, Everton, yeah, okay, they've signed James Tarkovsky and Dwight McNeil, who had, what, one assist all of last season? Again, you sign players from a relegated side, you get what you ask for. So, yeah. But let us know what you think, who's going to win the Premier League, who's going to get relegated. But I think that's a perfect place to end. That's right, guys. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to AT Sports News on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We will be posting daily updates on Twitter about the latest news coming out of the best two leagues in the world. And obviously, the biggest news coming up on Instagram. Then also have a look at our previous three seasons for some laughs. Uh, Also figure out which insiders you might miss in this season. But of course, thank you very much for listening, guys. Keep calm and love the beautiful game.